Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's show, I'm sharing the mic with Susan Gold. Susan is a multifaceted person to say the least. She is the author of the book, Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom, a decorated endurance athlete and a professional who has spent a lot of time as a celebrity talent agent and producer for film and television. So today we're going to dive into how Susan has become who she is today and more specifically how sometimes the winding paths that we take give us the resilience we need to live the life that we want on our terms. Welcome to the show, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. I've been waiting. I've had my shit in my hand. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I I think it's really amazing that I have been able to connect with such beautiful souls on this journey. And the thing that really showed up for me in our first conversation was your energy and the way that we we bonded pretty quickly, I feel, on some of the the shared challenges of going through divorce from a narcissist and having these really intense life moments that can't help but shape who you are. And I think it also throws into question some bit how you end up in these situations as well. And so I kind of thought we could start off with a little bit of your background and um, probably if it makes sense to you, a little bit kind of about your book and and growing up that, um, you know, had led you down a path where you kind of wanted to get out of where you came from and start anew. It's always nice to be across the microphone from another girl from Pennsylvania, like immediate bonding there for sure. And yeah, I think next time maybe we'll read the fine print on the contract before we agree to press play and enter Earth's field. Um, yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I did grow up um, the middle of five kids in the middle of, of Pennsylvania. My dad's a genius astrophysicist, but he also had a little issue with alcoholism, with, with uh, womanizing, with narcissism. Um, my mom was saddled with five kids before she was 30. Um, and she sued through food like eating, overeating. She was eating out of the, the grocery bags before we'd come out of the market into the car. It was painful. I'd try to like shield parts of her flesh with my body because I was embarrassed. Um, and I think um, she was taking diet pills, which I realized in my adulthood, diet pills are speed. That's yeah. what they were back then. So I was being raised by an alcoholic and a speed freak. And um, I think she also had issues with mental illness her moods would switch on a dime it was it was very unsafe um i knew it was dangerous really early on um it was quite chaotic my dad seemed the hero you know he was happy go lucky and smiling and always smelled like whiskey and scope and old spice you know i'm sure that brings back memories when you have um any of those in your uh in your senses 
good and bad, Nikki. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't that kind of one of the challenges too, of the way that we hold on to memories? Yeah, for me, it's in my body. Like uh, it's, it's trapped in pockets in my body. It, it's been really important for me to get a linear timeline down verbally mm-hmm. from my head in traditional modes of therapy. But ultimately, I think what's really helped me shift is more somatic exploration, really going into the into those trauma pockets and exploring it and shifting on a cellular level. It takes such an amount of self-awareness to go to that place, too, because it's hard enough, to your point, to articulate that verbally sometimes, because when you say it out loud, now it's real. Now that it's real and it's out in the universe, you have to acknowledge it and, and work through it. And then that working through it, to your point, you know, I've done ample amounts of talk therapy, but I've also done EMDR and I meditate and do the things that help me stay present and connected to my body. Because if I only anchor on that idea of talking through it and seeing it, as you said, sort of in that linear way and the cause and effect mentality, you're not really addressing the parts that are remaining unhealed, especially because like you said, I mean, I feel it in my body instantly. I know as soon as something's coming up for me, like the, the idea that we could just heal through um, kind of identifying and, and then moving away from it is a little bit unrealistic to me, having gone through what I've gone through. And I, it sounds like from your own experience, that would be the same. It was nice to put it in pretty little compartments mm-hmm. and then shove those compartments down there and keep them boxed up. But yeah, uh, authentically, that that doesn't really work long term. I, I left my home of origin uh, the morning after I graduated from high school. I was very driven to get out, but I also was really terrified the, mm-hmm. the day that it actually came. Um, and I had dreamed of of going to New York City. I used to watch um, Barbara Walters on my beanbag, on my belly, I in my it. basement. Yeah, I wanted to be just like her and go to New York. I went um, on an internship from college when I was 19. I was living in Greenwich Village and really got a great view of what creativity was yeah. at that point. Yeah, New York was vibrant and you never knew what was going to happen. I used to get around walking because I think I was making 80 bucks a week. Like, how many greasy slices of pizza can you eat? <laughs> At least it's New York pizza, though. Come on. <laughs> That's true. I miss it. Yeah. Now that I live in rural Montana. Yeah. No, um, the Pacific Northwest has no idea what good pizza is. It's a real shame. <laughs> but they're but they're trying. They're continuing to try. And <laughs> I have hope, Nikki. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I, I went to New York after after college and got a job in a big, glossy global talent agency called ICM, but I wasn't making enough money to cover my nut. So started training people on the side, exercise training. And Barbara Walters actually became a client. No kidding. What was that moment like for you? It's interesting how that stuff works. Well, you know, the woman that I was working for was white labeling, um, being one of her trainers. And she called me at like 630 at night. She's like, you think you can go to Barbara Walters apartment tomorrow? She just called. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Now, were you actually that subdued in the moment or were you kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is happening? Yeah, I kind of froze and freaked out. But um, the kismet, the serendipity, right? You just have to wonder. And it happened over and over with me. You know, things would just oddly fall in and and they still do. I'm sure they do 
in your life as well. I've definitely noticed a significant uh, increase in those synchronicities once I let go of a lot of the pain and struggle that I was dealing with. It was sort of tempering that um, those historic beliefs that you have about yourself or or the way that you thought your life was going to go and then realizing that there's really only possibilities ahead of us. And so when you open yourself up to that, I see just the massive amount of potential that there is. And so I try to not limit myself to anything. And therefore, I think to your point, you know, when you really believe in something or you want something to happen, whether it's the exact way that you imagined or not, those things start to make their way into your life more magnetically. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. And what a gift to be able to see your life in that construct versus I got to go down this rabbit hole and I got to stay in this rabbit hole and be a good robot. And then yeah. I'll get my <laughs> get my my due from Santa. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a it's a funny little game that we play in that regard because we do, I think, often find ourselves questioning the reason that we do things, especially as adults, especially when it comes to our profession. And you see more and more, I mean, so many of the conversations I have here are about finding your purpose and driving towards that. And if you can align what you're getting paid to do with your purpose, I mean, you've really hit the jackpot. Yeah, that's taken a bit of time. You know, I I did write that book and and I hate social media. I just wish I had your social media chops, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know that I have them either. I, I'm still making my way in. I'm like, you know, it's hard because I want to have a voice and I want visibility, but it's hard to feel like organically inclined to just create content and put it out there. I almost just want there to be a camera following me at all times and then somebody else can clip those out and give them to social media. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and now we're floating away from topic, but I have to bring it up. Like this whole digital cacophony just makes me want to puke. Like if I get another email in my inbox about my new best friend who's got a great webinar for me to join and they're going to offer me their their system or their their workshop that's usually $5,297 for 88. I just like, I'm going to scream. Yeah. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> I agree with you. And you know, it's funny that you say that and we can totally leave your back uh, in, in the direction of the conversation we started. But I will say, I think I've gotten to this place where I just see it all as so generic. So the thing that really differentiates for me is a brand, whether that's a personal brand or a business brand or both. But I think loyalty is becoming a lot more important now because people buy into things and, and other humans that resonate with them in more of a psychological and emotional way. And if we can tap into that, that isn't strictly based on, well, the psychology of human beings is that if you present this to them and then they say no, but then you present this to them, then they'll say yes. Like get away from that for a second and just think about, What's actually going to add value to these people's lives in a way that affects them beyond sort of this like narrow scope of what you're trying to sell them? And I'm this is probably why I'm terrible at my own marketing, honestly, is because I don't want to feel like I'm selling somebody something. I want somebody to buy into it more organically. And so it's trying to find that balance of like, who are you in the world of the people that you're selling to? And what is it about you or your brand or your product that people feel connected to and will want to remain connected to for the duration of whatever that um, life cycle is. 
Yeah, I'm still exploring that. I'm glad that, you know, we got to, to air that out a little bit now because I think it's important, especially, you know, as AI expands and the way we put ourselves out there shifts. But I'm hoping and I'm finding that people are just naturally drawn. I, I don't even have to push. And I'm a, I was a pusher. I was a producer chick. Like I was going to make it happen. I used to show up at 7.30 in the morning and you know, they'd say, okay, the segment air is at 1.30. You have to have different ethnicities, opposing views on your market set. Go, you know, and like make it happen. Yeah. Well, the the good thing about that, though, is that you have that experience, too. I think that I imagine just based on the sheer volume of people that you've had to interact with in your life, both personally and professionally, is that's what opens you up to creating those connections and creating more of that organic magnetism that draws people in. I mean, you've you've been number one guest on Podmatch for, you know, several weeks running at points when I've been looking and, you know, you're really creating these dynamic conversations around topics that are not only relatable, but super important. You know, we've gotten to this place where the authenticity is what's going to sell it. And I know so many people see authenticity now as a buzzword, but the reality is, is that you can't fake it. People know when you're faking it. That's not authentic. And and so as much of a buzzword as it might be, there is still, you know, the empirical truth is who are you and are you showing up authentically? And if that aligns, then people are going to understand that. And if people believe something that then turns out to not be true, they're going to recognize that inauthenticity and they're going to start to distance themselves from it. I think that's, you know, both personally and as um a, a professional in communicating with people is there's a lower threshold of tolerance for people who are bullshitters. Yeah, I think we're starting to see see through it as a global population, as a community, and with so many structures becoming outdated, antiquated, or literally stepping out of a patriarchal matrix that just is not a fit, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't have said it better myself, Susan. Oh, I think you could have. <laughs> <laughs> I might have needed some more time at least. You know, you raise an interesting point too, because I feel like part of what we were talking about in terms of learning to process those things that you've gone through in life and especially coming up as a child is that, you know, we weren't given the tools to help us cope along the way. So a lot of what we've had to achieve in adulthood and, and actively choose to do is ask yourself, what is it that you're feeling? What is it that you don't like about your life or that you want your life to be? And start to create the framework for yourself so you can step into those uh, those next moments of your life and build that, that foundation that really helps you move forward. And I think the way that people are interacting now and, and while the digital space definitely changes the dynamic that people have when we're interacting. It has also built a lot more connection between people than we ever would have had if we didn't have the internet. I mean, I think about how would I ever know 90% of the people that I know, including people I work with. So so it's definitely, I think the pros and cons are always going to be there. But one of the things that I love is the exposure to the things that you can do to help yourself to heal yourself that we are able to offer to other people as a result of having that connectivity. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, just having these podcast conversations that I've had 
they've really reflected back who I am and where my mission is and where I'm going. It's just connecting with that human on the other side of the screen. And yeah, I don't know where we'd be, you know, if we didn't have it. And I'm grateful that that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's this really beautiful impact that can be made because of these types of conversations. Uh, For me personally, just having the sheer volume of conversations with people that are so different, their lives are so incredibly different than mine, but there's these common threads that just come up and you think, gosh, this is the goodness of humanity. You know, the, the thing that I am so blown away by, and I think you exemplify this in the way that you show up and the work that you've done is we are not the things that have happened to us. We are the result of the way that we have approached life despite the things that have happened to us or because of the things that have happened to us. But it takes a lot of, I think, intention and grit to be willing to kind of tough out those really difficult moments to get to a place where you can feel the need and the desire to help people. And I see that in you. I see that in really all of the guests that I speak to. There's always this desire to make the world a better place. And it seems like sort of a generic catch-all statement, but it can mean something different for everybody. So, you know, sort of that meta idea is we all want to make the world better. And we believe that that can happen by creating conversations that are going to build compassion because compassion leads to empathy and empathy leads to understanding. And the biggest challenge right now that I see is so many people breeding hate because they're ignorant, willfully ignorant. Um, And it's just like you're, to your point, it's perpetuating these really bad habits of behavior societally and as human beings that frankly, I feel like we should have evolved past by now. I think, I think we're, we're giving the opportunity and more and more of us that speak up. I mean, it, it definitely was a process for me to walk through and to, to clearly understand that, that my gifts of soul evolution have been so bountiful, but I could have continued to eat the rat poison and expect you to drop over Nikki if I didn't wake up. Yeah. And it was, it was school of hard knocks. It was not easy. I mean, my childhood was really rough, really rough, and it did not equip me well. I think the the signpost came out in my early 20s. I was starting to repeat this, the same behavior. I had to address alcoholism. Um, I had to address clinical depression. And I had to address blatant narcissistic abuse and then stand up to all of that and say, wow, thank God for these miracles. These are miracles to have had the privilege to walk through and now stand up and feel whole and feel like love in my heart and layers of that black gunk, like gone. The saran wrap still comes in every once in a while, but but I know how to melt it now. Yeah. You know, I like the way that you explain that too, that these experiences and having to walk through that, the way that you described that, I think is really important because we, I, in my experience, when I've been walking through it, you're, you're kind of searching for a reason. You're like, why the fuck is this happening? Why is this my life? How is this my life right now? Shouldn't it be different? And I think that there's this inner knowing when you're in those moments, I, I, I really believe just knowing 
the people that I know through the podcast, my friends that have had, you know, their own really deep seated traumas and things like that, my own experiences, it's like, there are two types of people in this world. There are the people that will perpetuate their victimhood and the people that will work endlessly to heal as much as possible. And I am the last person who wants to victim blame or shame somebody. But when people do that themselves, when they remain comfortable with the discomfort, then they're not, the way I see it is you've sort of given up on yourself. And if you do that, then of course, you're not going to have a fulfilling life. Of course, you're not going to feel that wholeness that you described. And I love the term bountiful that you used. It's so true. It's it's such a great descriptor of what it feels like. There's such an abundance of learning and just gratitude that has come from all these really shit experiences. And I said it on an episode the other day, and I think I said it in therapy too. I'm sure I've said it several times in therapy, but like I would never have chosen the path that got me here because there were some really fucked up moments. However, I would not be who I am right now. I know that for a fact. And so if I can be grateful for the fact that those things that I had to walk through got me to a place where I could understand myself enough and understand people around me more and have more empathy for other people, then, you know, I'll take it as a win to your point. Yeah, I, certainly for me, I wouldn't be. I would be in jail or some institution or dead. Like there's no question. Absolutely no question. What was and, the turning point for you? Because you said like in your early 20s, you kind of had that moment. Was it um, like a combination of things or was there a specific catalyst? I There were multiple um, points, but I think, you know, understanding that I needed to drop drinking that I couldn't do drugs and cleaning up that way. That was, that was a pivotal moment and a huge life decision. And I'm grateful that I've just stuck with that because it's given me a place that's even to launch from and given me clarity. It's, it's not the easier, softer way, but, uh, but it's definitely what I needed to do as an individual to, to grow. I think it's and the more peaceful way too. Like it bring, like, I think there's more peace that comes with that. And I can't relate directly, but I know that when I was at the worst parts of my life with my ex, I would be on FaceTime with my best friend for like three hours, smoking joint after joint after joint after joint, just like numbing myself, being like, I don't fucking care. Like, it's just, I'm done. Like I can't, I'm checking out. And it, in the moment, it felt like I was calming down. But then when I walked away from it, um, you know, it gave me this realization that that was the like maximum crutch that I, that I was using, you know? Um, and I think seeing the change in my overall willingness and understanding of willingness to understand what I've been through and what contributed to that desire to numb, like opened me up to being able to feel so much more connected to myself and so much more at peace internally. And that for me has happened in, in layers. Like the first layer was addressing the addiction and then it was the clinical depression. Then it was like the abuse through exercise. I mean, I was taking endurance athletics and using, using it like heroin. I was, yeah, a lot of people do, I find use exercise that way. 
Yeah, bludgeoning my body. And and I was only good enough as as far as, you know, what three things I did that day. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, jumping in the pool, swimming 4,000 meters before 7 a.m. and then throwing kettlebells around and going into hot yoga between walking my dog three times a day. I mean, like, seriously. <laughs> Well, it's like you're not leaving space for the the things that need to kind of settle in, right? Like part of it is being able to sit and not feel that need to have something else occupying your time or your mind or your body. Yeah, and I think for me, meditation has has helped me with that. But I could also take that to a place where I used it as a beat up tool. You know, I used to have to sit on the cushion for a set amount of time no matter what, you know, it's just like, now it's like, oh, if I feel like, you know, I go sit or I'll just walk around the neighborhood and like notice my breath. That's enough. It's, it's yeah. become gentler and softer. I like that a lot. That's a really good way to describe it. Do you, do you feel like that has been the direct result of just being really intentional about it because you've recognized your own patterns that have created that, um, I guess, sort of that addictive mindset for the other um, like ways that you were coping? The universe has forced that upon me, certainly. That happens. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're an endurance athlete and then you can't walk around the block, you know, and I was in chronic pain for two years, I had mm -hmm. to address what I was doing to my body and find a new way. And yes, that has led me to absolute freedom. Yeah. You know, when you talk about freedom, I think that's something that so many of us crave and we have such different definitions of probably because, you know, I feel like as people we're probably at least mentally, physically constrained in ways that are unique to us. Uh, to your point, things that we grew up with, things that were sort of embedded in us at an early age that can confine the way that we think. And to me, freedom is really about having the choice you know, being able to decide what you want to do, being able to decide who you are, how you show up in the world. And I'm curious from your perspective is what, how would you define freedom when you think of it in terms of where you're at now? Well, 10 years ago, someone said that word to me and I didn't even understand what she was talking about because I was so boxed into my regimen you know, mm -hmm. I went, went to sleep at a certain time. So I'd get up at 4 a.m. So I could go to that pool. So I could run home and fix breakfast for my son and then take him to school and then come back. And, but it, you know, it was like X, Y, Z. And God forbid you fluff around with that schedule, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was no freedom and I didn't choose freedom. I didn't want it. I didn't understand that I, that I actually could benefit from that. You know, and I'd worked for myself most of my career. I had I had ferreted out my own schedule. Um, you know, when the whole lockdown came, it, it just really wasn't that different for me because I'd already been working virtually and, you know, making my own sort of elements. Um, but um, yeah, I lost my train of thought there for a sec. <laughs> no, you're all you're all good. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of sort of what freedom means to you and. Well, I guess based on what you're saying, right, you, you, it sounds like you had structured your life so much that you were not inviting freedom in. And that was somewhat by design based on what you just said. Yeah, because it, I felt it kept me safe. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and that that speaks volumes, by the way, because I mean, it go, it, I imagine, let me speculate here based on my limited psychological knowledge, but I imagine that stems back to you being a child and not feeling safe in your own home growing up with your parents. Would you say that's probably in, at least in part, where that was coming from? Oh, that that would be totally in part from where it comes from. Yeah. I did everything I could to stay mom and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like part of it was also to show up for your son in a way that you didn't feel you were shown up for by your parents. Yeah, absolutely. I was really ambivalent. I was, had really mixed feelings about becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would look at dogs on the street, not baby carriages and yeah, babies, well. you know. <laughs> and then I, I was at the point where I thought, oh, well, chances of me getting pregnant are so slim. My friends were doing in vitro in their 30s, you know, and I was already past that point. But I felt like, yeah, maybe I would miss something. Maybe I could be a, a, a parent with some kind of consistency and level of respect for mm-hmm. my offspring. And when that dipstick turned blue, I was 42. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> How's this going to work out? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but uh, I was 43 when I delivered 10 hours door to door and natural. And I'm really glad I had that privilege. And I I really feel like I broke the chain. I did everything I could to give them a solid, stable platform. You know, yeah. we we knew what was coming. There, there weren't a lot of questions. There was no violence, no raising of voice. I, I treated him like an individual, a human being with his own pathway, his own journey to have. And I tried to be supportive. Um, yeah. And, and I, I do think it's one of the best things that I've ever done. He's in college now trying to get through in three years instead of four. Where's the wood? Well, Hey, you raised an ambitious one then. So good for you. You know, <laughs> I love that you made the comment about breaking that chain and that cycle, because I do feel like some of what we're really experiencing now um, in a really significant way in society as a whole is the dynamic between parents and children has changed a lot. I see my sister has a two-year, I'm sorry, two-year-old, three-year-old, three-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, they're these adorable humans with very unique personalities. And she is so loving generous, kind, but also firm and disciplined and able to regulate because you have to as a parent, right? But the thing that my friends and I always talk about is it blows our minds when we hear parents or when they do it, when they apologize to their kids a little bit, because it's like, we weren't getting apologies from our parents. I could probably say twice. I remember my mom apologizing to me about something as an adult. And so it's like this acknowledgement, as you said, treating children like individuals, understanding that the way that they're reacting is a reflection of how they're feeling, not just necessarily an impulse. Some of it might be impulsive, but try to understand that a little bit so you can cater your response more respectfully towards that child. Whereas I think so much of what was was what my childhood was like is I was really impulsive, very much undiagnosed ADHD. And that made me very ready to escalate if I wasn't getting something I wanted. 
And, you know, the solution was grounding me. And and listen, my parents, I think, did a really good job raising me overall. And I have absolutely acknowledged as an adult that there are things that they weren't equipped to do because they didn't learn these things, right? So the responsibility does fall on us, whether we are parents or people who are surrounding ourselves with children and able to act as, you know, role models to them is to make sure that they feel seen and heard and that they understand how to process their emotions. Because I feel like we're at a little bit of a disadvantage that we didn't grow up with that and we're trying to figure it out now. Like that's its own journey to to be able to navigate your emotional self-awareness. Um, you know, in your 30s, as I quite um, recently have discovered. And I think if we can raise people to have the hard discussions in a way that is more palatable and more civil than like you get, you just, you resolve things faster and more effectively than just sort of taking this old model of behavior and perpetuating that. So, I mean, more power to you for recognizing that within yourself and and seeing that opportunity with your son. I'll let you know how it works out, Nikki. (laughs) You're like, jury's still out. We got a couple of years to go here. (laughs) So, you know, um, one of the things that you've mentioned, too, is you've had a real variety of experiences in your life that have shown you sort of where these gaps were and and things that you wanted to kind of re-architect to bring yourself to this place of peace and understanding. So you... I feel like when we speak, you know, you just have this really bright energy about you. And I I can tell that there's so much depth and that we probably couldn't cover many of the things that I would be wanting to discuss with you in, in a short episode. But, you know, I think when we come to that place of recognition within ourselves and trying to identify where we want to go, we do have to rely somewhat on our gut and our our instinct of who we are and that inner knowing, that intuition that we have. Do you feel like or I should say, how do you feel that helped you navigate the circumstances that you were living in that you realized you wanted to change? So I was highly empathic and telepathic as a young child. I could read thoughts, Mm -hmm. excuse me, clearly. Whoa, somebody's trying to come through. (laughs) (laughs) And it was was not welcome. I mean, Mm -hmm. adults did not like the truth foisted upon them. So I, I learned to shut that down. Um, but my intuition actually kept me safe and alive, actually. Uh, it was really harrowing. And I took that with me and always knew that it was a piece of me and I could read into the feelings and I could read the energies. Mm-hmm. And that helped me in, in my career tremendously. I I was 25. I had uh, I was newly sober. I had just been fired from my job because I confronted my boss on sexual harassment, which Barbara Walters <laughs> uh, volunteered to come with me to work that day. I'll never forget it, but I wouldn't let her do it. And I decided to open my own talent brokerage firm. I had two and a half months of money in the bank. My first deal was to knock on the factory door. And to convince Andy Warhol to do a commercial for Pontiac that he didn't want to do at all. He just, the day I went down there to to have a conversation with him, 
his business manager, Fred, ushered me into his studio and it was really dark. And there was like a pin spotlight coming down on this platinum hair going 17 directions. And these three pugs are running around the studio and he's picking up these pugs and he could care less. Like why I'm there is not even making eye contact, Nikki. It's like so painful. Mm-hmm. And I'm just yammering on, but I see his connection with the pugs. Like I totally get it. I see it. And I feel his pain because he doesn't really want to connect with the human being in the room. It's about these dogs. Mm -hmm. And he's so isolated within his scribbling, you know, Uh, uh, scribbling. Listen to me. He's like (laughs) a world-renowned artist. And I'm telling you, he's scribbling. But um, anyway, finally, he stopped and he looked up at me. It was the first time he made eye contact and said, now, really, why should I do this? And I just kind of fell silent. And I heard that voice within me. And I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. He's like, okay, I'll do it. And that like totally was, was the deal that, that launched my professional career. And it sort of stamped me with this incredible ability to just naturally convince people (laughs) of things they might not (laughs) That's what I want to do, but just made sense. So that that intuition has always played a role. And mm-hmm. ultimately, um, when I confronted my husband, who was the love of my life, I thought we'd be together forever, but our marriage was way past the expiration date. I knew it. I didn't want my family to disintegrate. I tried to make him come to the table with integrity, with the post-nuptial agreement. Don't do that with a narcissist. And don't divorce a narcissist. Don't don't marry a narcissist is really the 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 leading uh, piece of advice there because they will rake you over the coals. Doesn't matter. It's so true. But we got to that last point, and I thought, "Yay, our marriage is saved!" And he crossed his arms, and his eyes went into those cold lizard-like slits. And he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for divorce. And I heard so clearly, Nikki, this is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that was so true. Wow. I could not relate to that more. I I feel so, so seen by that statement, Susan, because I was experiencing I mean, a decade of psychological abuse, but then, you know, I left because all these crazy events were unfolding. It was very clear that my ex had been living some sort of double life, but gaslighting with a narcissist is a very confusing thing when you're in it, especially. And I made the choice. It was still like during the pandemic, like kind of peak of the pandemic still vaccines weren't out yet. And I was just like, I'm going back to see my family. Like, I can't do this. I need to leave. I need space. And honestly, thank God I did because I went back uh, for a couple of months. I was living with my sister and my mom passed away suddenly, super unexpectedly while I was there. So first of all, like the universe got me there. I didn't have to A, be with my ex when it happened. B, I didn't have to get on a flight and fly 3000 miles to to just be sitting with that and panicked. Like I was with my sister. We drove up to see my dad after it happened. And I asked my ex to come to the services. I asked her to fly out because I thought that I needed somebody there. I needed to have the support. And God, it was like, idiot, like, come on, like this person is not, you think they're going to show up now? And it was like, you couldn't do 
the bare minimum to begin with. And this was like a moment where if somebody's going to show up, they're going to show up. And if they're not going to show up, they're very clearly never going to show up. And it was like, okay, this is done now. Like it is done, done. And I went back to Seattle a couple months later and first day I was back said, you know, I want a divorce. This is official. Not, not listening, not listening. I'm like, no, this needs to happen. And then later that night she assaulted me. And it's like, you will not win that battle with the universe. The universe was like, it is done, done. I don't know how many different ways to tell you because I thought, well, I'm going to need her there to support me because I've just lost my mom. How am I going to do this by myself? Well, guess what happened? I divorced her. Good riddance to bad rubbish, as they say. And then I met my now wife, who is like the most beautiful soul I could have ever imagined meeting. So thanks, universe. You figured it out for me. I clearly wasn't going to do it on my own. Yeah, that's the way that it works. I just need to have the faith over and over and over again. Even when you can't see it when you're in the thick of it, right? I think it's, it's sort of that blind faith that no matter what happens, you will be okay even if it means you're not okay for some period of time. And it sounds like you were in that exact same boat. Oh, it was, it was bloody hell. It was perfect storm. All the elements came together. Everything I learned as a child to survive my home, everything I learned as a producer pulling deals together and, and celebrities out of my butt for programming and, and the the focus and grit and tenacity of endurance athletics, silent meditation retreats, holding no contact. We went back after that mediation um, session and he promptly took up residence in the master bedroom. And I, by choice, took a mattress on the floor in a partial conversion in our garage in a home that I had bought and paid for. And I held no contact, including no eye contact for one year in wow. that domicile. I can't even call it a home. I'll call it a domicile. Well, you know, Until- I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, I appreciate your intention with the use of the words for domicile instead of home, because I very often don't refer to what I had with my ex as a relationship, I refer to it as a situation. So I, I respect and understand where you're coming from with that. Wow. That is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was totally, I feel like this was what I came to earth to learn and move through. Everything was set up to learn how to move through that. And it was one year and I could write him a six figure check and he could go on and I learned how powerful I truly was. And I learned incredible compassion for the being I was and all I walked through. And actually, I learned appreciation for him to teach me that. Yeah. And I'm I'm profoundly grateful. And honestly, I wish him well. I would not want to be in his body for any amount of money in the world. That is pure hell on earth. Oh, my gosh. Uh, true words have not been spoken. And uh, it's it's coincidental or nothing's a coincidence, I suppose people say, but it's it's interesting that you had said, you know, even like grateful to him for teaching you what you needed to know to get through it, to get to where you are now. I said in therapy last week, there are these parts of me that are like, you know, I feel like I just, I want there to be the justice that there wasn't, you know, like there was never any sort of accountability. And so of course, with the narcissist, they're not going to take accountability. That's not what they do. And I was like, you know, 
I do know that she's not living a good existence. And it's a little bit like, fuck you and thank you, you know? And <laughs> that's, that's we kind of my... Can t-shirts with that? Song. Pardon me? Can we get t-shirts with that? A thousand you percent. You. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's... I'm still working through some of the resentment um, and primarily more than like what happened to me in those situations that I described is really like the fact that she was relentless when my mom died and like dragged me through the mud and my family through the mud, like when we should have been grieving, like that was really painful. And so it's like, I know forgiveness is something that we want to achieve for ourselves and not for somebody else. It's not letting somebody else off the hook, but there is this part of me that's still like, that's like despicable, you know? And, And I think it just shows me how, you know, it's been, it's not even been that long. It's been like a little over two years since all of that happened. So for me, there's definitely this sense of there's time to still heal from that. But this part of me that's like, I want to get there faster. So like in your experience, having gone through this, right? Like, do you feel like you consistently sort of feel these moments popping up in your life where you're like, I feel a little bit more, I feel it a little bit more? Oh, definitely. Like I, I totally remember when we were still living in that that same circumstance and me repeating under my breath, thank you, thank you, thank you, not meaning a word of it, just because I knew that's where I had to go ultimately. Mm-hmm. And it is a process. It it can still well up in me. I can still get resentful over stuff that happened, you know, decades ago, yeah. let alone. But and I think that's part of being human. And I think that's that's something to welcome in. I just don't want to live there and take up residence there. Yeah, I think that's a great way of stating it. And what do you feel is important for somebody to know who might be in a situation like we were both in with somebody who is a narcissist or even just in any way, you know, abusive and and kind of keeping you under their thumb? Um, Because for me, it was a matter of, I kind of had that knowing the whole time, but I didn't understand why I was accepting it. And so I don't know if you have thoughts on, you know, either just kind of your own experience with that or what you might say to somebody who is maybe feeling that way and doesn't necessarily understand that they have a way out. It's just not always so cut and dry. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. And it's an evolving process. So what helped me was, A, I had to become aware of it first. That was a process in and of itself. I mean, even the home that I grew up in, that was a process to Mm -hmm. really understand what the dynamic was and the abusive relationships. It was a process. So to be kind and gentle with myself, I'm going to learn and go through this process. And then once I'm aware to accept it, that's a whole nother thing. Like the fear that came up of being abandoned or, you know, repeating the neglect, feeling any differently, like, really, how am I going to be able to step up into that? Even though I'm so accomplished and and carrying three quarters of the bag anyway, at least. (laughs) Yeah. And then then finally take the action for the Mm -hmm. shift. Yeah. I mean, you raise an interesting and important point too, that the evolution, you know, is, I feel like you start with that inkling, that knowing that something's off and and you don't feel good about it. And you can progress to these 
sort of moments of, okay, well, I don't like this or I'm not accepting it or this isn't okay. And now I need to acknowledge that I need to do something about it. And getting to a place where you're ready to do something about it is really challenging. So many people have said to me, give yourself grace. Like, it's so hard to see when you're that close to it. And I'm like, the thing is, is what frustrates me the most in my own experience is that I feel like, yes, I was close to it. Yes, I was defending somebody who shouldn't have been defended in moments that I felt like I knew I was lying to myself. But I think the fact that I knew I was lying to myself is the part that aggravates me the most. I'm like, you knew. Why did you deny that you knew, you know? And it's like, that's sort of one of the challenges, I think, of being with somebody who's narcissistic is like, you're just constantly questioning your own reality. And what I was so frustrated about after the fact was looking at it going, God, I was living somebody else's reality. Like they convince you to live in their reality as opposed to your own. And so when we talk about freedom and we think about that ability to like really live your life the way you want to live it. A big part of that for me, and I imagine, um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but it's like, you have to get to a place where you prioritize you and your life, period, full stop. Like you cannot prioritize anybody else to get out of that situation. Yeah, no, no contact is absolutely essential to break free from narcissistic abuse. And it's the toughest thing to accept, especially when, you've given so much time and energy and love and, and, and so much of yourself, but yeah, it's absolutely the decision has to be crystal clear and you have to just stand by yourself. And, you know, people lapse, lapse back and you do, you're human. You just get up and dust yourself off and say no more. Yeah. Yeah, But you have to really think it through. It's really a sticky wicket. Most people don't get out. Nikki. Well, yeah. And I mean, on average, just in terms of domestic abuse, whether it's psychological or physical, it's an average of seven times for somebody to leave successfully. So like that people try to leave, they try to leave. And then on average, the seventh time people leave. And I think that there's such an underestimation of how powerful psychological manipulation is. And I don't think that way for the people who are experiencing it. (laughs) Um, But it's really hard to prove in a court of law. And um, I think that deters people a lot because if there's not something specific you can point to, it's hard to really get your ground with that. And I mean, when I was going through my divorce, I was in a 50-50 no-fault state, which is absurd to begin with. But I mean, I had to go no contact because of the assault. There was a restraining order. It was like, you just made my life real easy. So honestly, Susan, that's a fuck you, thank you moment for me too, because it's like, oh good, I didn't even have to think about it. Like there was no like, oh, maybe we'll talk about it. It was like, no, we literally legally cannot speak. So we're just not going to. And I think the the challenge of going no contact is the thing that I've witnessed in the lives of my friends who have um, children with their exes who are narcissists, that is super challenging for them and and being able to break free from that. Um, I don't know, was your son um, yours and your exes? Yeah, and he was nine years old and and 10 or 10, almost 11 when it was finally done. And I still help modified contact. Everything was in writing. And those zany emails I never answered, I would answer with a single sentence, please ask your son. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or it was a yes or no answer. He actually had turned an uncle against me. And then my cousin, my uncle's daughter, went through her own divorce from a narcissist about two years later. And ultimately, my uncle told her, do whatever Susan did, because it worked. 
Well, you know, I feel like that's validating. It's something that as we started the conversation with, you know, coming out of these experiences, we are gifted the ability to heal if we put our intentions towards that. And when you get to a place of feeling that healing, I think that has kind of its own addictive property to it, where like you want to continue to heal and you want to help other people heal as well. And even just having these conversations, not just having these conversations, having these conversations is so instrumental in getting to a place where we can breathe a little bit easier knowing that we're not alone in these situations. I mean, I feel so unbelievably, as I said, seen by you sharing your story because it does, it really validates like how there is always somebody out there who understands in some way. It's not always going to be exactly the same, but there are these bits and pieces of our lives that speak to one another. And when you have those moments and those opportunities to share space with somebody who who really gets it the way that you get it, it's it's satisfying to your soul. Yeah. And that was, that was a big reason for the book. I mean, it's such a taboo topic and toxic family, like what a nasty title when you actually have a relationship with your, with your family. I mean, my title was magical illumination because that's what I feel like it it is, but that didn't address what the book really specifically shares. And um, yeah, it's, it's really amazing to be able to come full circle. And, and now people are coming to me saying, wow, yeah, that I totally resonated with that experience you had. And some of them aren't even the experiences that I thought would resonate, you know, with people. It's, it's really a gift of having walked through it as I'm sure you've experienced yourself already. Oh, totally. And I mean, as we're wrapping up here, I did just want to ask one more question that came to mind. And you had mentioned, you know, um, going no contact with your ex, but with your, your father, you said was also narcissistic. Do you speak with your father still? I have a relationship with him. I don't see him often. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, we never really engage that much. Most of it's, you know, through text. Um, so we have limited engagement, but I have love for him. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's really been there as best he could. Yeah. And I understand his own journey, which gave me perspective, but it was a long process mm-hmm. in coming around to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate you answering that because um, one of my best friends uh, had married a narcissist and her mom is just unbelievably textbook narcissist. And there are these moments where I'm just like, I know that going no contact is has to be so difficult because that's apparent, right? And at the same time, it as I said, you know, it's like at some point it just comes down to you have to prioritize yourself above everybody else. And um, I was just curious if you had had kind of that experience with your uh, father as well. But I'm glad that you are on good terms because I think that's a beautiful thing to know that you can have love for one another and um, give him grace for for who he is and how he's shown up even um, in those moments when it affected you the way that it did. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely been a process. My mom, I had three years where we didn't communicate mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. At all. And it, it was really important to do a lot of work and, and be able to draw boundaries and have support. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was all really pivotal. But I think Ultimately, this gift of forgiveness that I've been given has really been so freeing, and I'm so grateful for it. 
Absolutely. I mean, this conversation has just been so enlightening and uplifting. You know, it's funny because we talk about these really deep, difficult topics. uh, And at the same time, there's just so much that can be gleaned from your experiences and the way that you're showing up now, as I said before. And I am so grateful for your time, Susan, for your energy and for your story. And I'm sure this will resonate with listeners. So I'll be sure to put a link to your book with sh- in the show notes. But is there anywhere else that you want listeners to be able to find you and follow you since you're a little bit anti-social media as we've established? It, only if you feel drawn, go to go to susangold.us. And, and Nikki, I just want to say that it's not easy what you're doing. It takes a lot of time, takes effort, takes money takes a lot of production and you're doing it from your heart. You're doing it in such a wise way. This conversation, and I've had many, I think this is like 66 podcast, 66. Good for you. Good for you. But I want to say this is, this is your purpose and this is your reason for being. And I just want to encourage you to continue to seek out these conversations and thank you for the episodes that you've had out. And I encourage your listeners, if you haven't heard them, go back and check them out because they're really rich. Susan, thank thank you you so much. That is so generous of you to say so kind and and so fulfilling for me. It's really a, a gift to be able to do this and to have the conversations that we're having. So thank you so much for that. It's um, it means the world to me. And I really look forward to where our relationship can continue to go. Uh, Hopefully we'll continue to keep in touch and, um, you know, you never know where the world will bring us, right? Well, gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.